Welcome to Redefiners, a podcast designed for daring leaders who are changing what it means to lead in today's increasingly complex world. I'm Nanas Motoshami, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds Associates. And I'm Clark Murphy, Chief Executive Officer. Nanas and I have spent our careers exploring what works and what's next in the realm of leadership. In each episode, we ask our guests deep and provocative questions about how they've challenged the norms and how they've redefined their organizations and ultimately themselves as leaders. Also, you can answer this one question. How are you redefining your leadership? Perhaps the boldest question yet. Conversations that matter. Inspiration for us all, whether you're kicking off your career or crafting your legacy. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Redefiners. Today, we're talking with a leader from the financial services sector. And Clark, as you know, I'll be honest with our listeners as well, this is not a sector that I've worked with. This is not one that I'm very familiar with at all. So actually, I'm just really intrigued to listen and learn, um, learn a bit more about the disruption that's happened in the sector, learn a bit more about the technology transformation. Tell us who our guest is, Clark. Well, I'm, I'm really excited. We're going to talk with Sam Tien, who is the former CEO of OCBC Bank, the oldest bank in Singapore, second largest financial services group in Southeast Asia by assets, and one of the world's most highly rated banks. Prior to OCBC, Sam was president and CEO of China Construction Bank Asia, and also served as the president and CEO of Bank of America Asia before that. He is a veteran who knows his market. Sam, thank you for joining us on Redefiners. Welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me to join this session. And uh, very good to see you, Clark, again. And uh, good to see you in the next. Sam, we have a lot to talk to you about, but would love to actually start and talk a little bit about you and the future. Um, so as Clark said, you retired from your role as CEO back in April um, of this year. You are notoriously known as a hard worker. You've absolutely loved um, what you've done. I hear that you don't play golf. I hear that you don't drink wine. <laughs> Can I ask, what will the future hold for you? And dare I use the word in retirement? <laughs> yes, I've retired in April um, after working for 44 years. And for me, after my graduation, the entire 44 years, I've got no break in between. So I'm also exploring myself as I'm exploring the retirement life to see what is it that will appeal to me after my retirement. So so as we talk about redefining moments, and there, you're in the middle of one now, but Thinking back on your, on your professional career and seeing the changes in the banking world, the changes in some of the Chinese institutions getting larger, international banks having greater presence, was there a redefining moment for you professionally, either joining OCBC or China Construction Bank, that you said, wow, this is, this is the moment where I will redefine who I am in, as a banker or as a leader? I think for me personally, um, moving from one country to another country is very important for my career development and very important for my personal enrichment. So my redefining moments, if I were to use the same term, would be when I first took on an assignment uh, with Bank of America to work in San Francisco in the U.S. Um, I was in Hong Kong. I was educated in, in, um, in California, and I moved back to Hong Kong to start as a management trainee with Bank of America. And after a number of years, they assigned me over to San Francisco. So not only is it a new country to me in terms of working, I study there, but studying and working is quite different. Uh, secondly, I also moved into a new industry, the high technology industry. Um, 
And, and it was quite redefining to me in the sense that I know that I really have to um, have a very, very open attitude, very accommodating attitude, understanding the culture, reading between the lines, understanding the different practices. And there is no right or wrong answer. It's a matter of the context that you have to put things in to appreciate what it is. And I think if you go in there, you really have to have a very open mind to accept the things are uh, the, the, the dominant practices over another country. And over time, you will be able to be more aligned with the country that you're going into. Sam, you talked about adjusting to the California, the Silicon Valley mindset and understanding different cultures in different countries. So question, when you went back to Asia, did you have to readjust to that culture, the one where you're from? Well, when I came back from the U.S. Uh, back into uh, Asia, uh, into Hong Kong in 1992, I was really pitching corporate finance ideas to major corporations in the high technology industry, setting up CP backup lines because they don't need to borrow from us. They've got higher rating than of the bank. They borrow from the CP market. I'm setting up backup, uh, CP backup lines for them. And then when I'm back in um, Asia, I was doing crafting tax loans for less than 3,000 US dollars, one year loan to help them to pay taxes. What a change. But on the other hand, I realized that the fundamentals of banking is indeed the same, whether you extend your credit to a large corporate or whether you extend to a consumer. Fascinating, fascinating. And Sam, over those 40 years of working, I mean, you, you've always worked long hours, you've always had huge responsibilities. And yet you've always been cited as a leader who's been very calm and rarely stressed. What's been your philosophy or kind of wise words? What wise words would you share with us to sort of manage stress? How have you managed stress? I think there was quite a bit of stress in the work, but the way that I de-stress it may be different from some of the people where they go out to play sports or play golf or drink wine. Mm -hmm. um, in my case, I look at the different tasks that I work um, as something that I can de-stress myself. Mm -hmm. So literally, when I'm involved in the conversation, I'm deeply involved in that conversation on that topic. And once I move on to another conversation on a different topic, I totally involve myself in that second uh, topic discussion. Because when you talk about de-stress, I think de-stress is moving from one activity to another activity that you do not have linger on impacts from one to the other. And for myself, when I move on from one task discussion to another task discussion, I'm totally involved in the second one without even recalling what the first one is all about. And I'm able to do that. Um, and, and I think that helps me to de-stress uh, when, when I was working. My coach will love you. She often talks to me about mindfulness and sort of not, you know, when you're in a meeting, focus on that meeting as opposed to doing 10 other things at the same time. So uh, I think those are indeed very wise words. Yes, yes. And sometimes these are conversations with my, um, with my clients in different industries. And I'm deeply involved in that because I really am very inquisitive mm -hmm. as to how they do it. Um, so, for example, um, if I'm dealing with a, with a palm oil uh, planter, I'll be interested to find out from them, you know, how long will a pine tree continue to produce palm oil? Um, and then how is that different from a rubber tree, for example? Absolutely. Um, Sam, there's something else that you've done that is 
um, very aspirational um, and something that many, at least of my clients, would love to do, which is to find an internal successor and make sure that that person's diverse. Um, so for our listeners who may or may not know, um, you were succeeded at OCBC by Helen Wong, um, who actually is the first woman ever to serve as a, a CEO of a bank in Singapore. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you actually brought Helen in a good year before she took on her role um, as CEO. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Well, succession is very important for any company. And uh, in my case, because um, I have been looking at succession um, since I assumed the CEO position. And uh, in the last few years, um, I've been looking at what is it that we really require for an individual who is able to bring the bank to the future world. Mm -hmm. And I have to define what the future world is going to be like. For example, it is going to be more technology-oriented. It is more going to be more regional-oriented. There will be more competition, and uh, there will be more diversification. So when I have concluded that these are the things that I need, then we start to look for a successor who has that general knowledge. I think as a CEO, you don't really need to have somebody who has got very deep technical knowledge, but the general knowledge who is able to pull things together is the most important thing. So then we start to look around internally and externally, and we know that it is not easy for a newcomer to immediately take over a position. So we need to bring the person in for him or her to be exposed to the diversity of our group and then to bring it up from there. So we identified internal candidates at the same time as we identified external candidates, uh, brought them in, exposed them to as many uh, areas as possible. What I did is that I created a task force which is headed by the internal people as well as by the external people, these people who are CEO candidates, and they really look at what is it required to bring the bank forward. And then they make presentations back to myself, to the management committee, and to the board. And through that, we are able to assess them uh, more thoroughly as to whether they are really understanding what they really need to do. Uh, and, and, and also the people relationship is very important, mm. whether they're able to mobilize the people um, so that they can continue to work with them as I move on and they take over. Sammy, you've just described a truly best-in-class CEO succession process. You start early, it's all about future-proofing, internals, externals, and then you give them time to adapt and prepare for the role. I am, um, Clark, I think we should offer Sam a job at Russell Reynolds. To <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. time to join us and give give our clients advice to do the same thing, the future-proofing. future, future proofing. Sam, uh, OCBC is named the best managed bank during the pandemic, but you were also presented the Leadership Achievement Award for best COVID response in all of Singapore. What did you do? What, what, what was recognized for that achievement? What we did is that we look at how COVID has impacted the various sectors of the local economy, the clients, the employees, the shareholders. So we take a very structured approach to see what is it that we need to do to help them. The clients, they did not create this, they were impacted by this. So to the extent possible, we try to see what is it that we can do to help them. To our employees, safety is the most important factor for us. So we want to make sure that they feel comfortable in coming to work, they feel comfortable to working in the office, and they feel comfortable to continue to service the clients. 
we give them the equipment, we give them the support, um, we even give them transportation allowances so that they don't have to take public transportation. So we, we do a lot of these things in order to make sure that we create an environment which is conducive and comfortable for the people to continue to perform. And so there's so much about the role of leadership, a chief executive, the community, um, when to step up and, and have a point of view about what, what needs to happen. I'm curious... Did you become more active in the community uh, as, as, as taking a stand on what should happen to help people during the crisis? I think what I did and increased significantly is the communication with our people mm -hmm. and communication with the industry groups in our local economy. I do town halls. I do email. I do recordings um, for them to let them know that we are there. We understand the difficulty they are under. And to the industry groups, it's also important to let them know that we are there. We will not abandon them. Yeah, I, I do think in times of crisis, you really do see the best of some companies and some people. I, Sam, work quite closely. Um, so I, I, folk, I spent the majority of my time working in healthcare, work quite closely with a UK FTSE 100 medical device player. And Obviously, with the, when the pandemic hit, elective procedures were put on hold. Their business went down um, to nothing. And so they diverted the focus of a couple of their facilities to help produce ventilators at a loss to them. Yes. And so, so in my experience, it's many of the clients I worked with, actually, you, you saw the best side of them come out, at least at the start of the crisis. Clark, does that resonate with you? You have a kind of a broader view uh, across sectors. I think absolutely. And I think we, we found uh, the companies and leaders that were the most agile, that they, mm -hmm. within 30 or 60 days, they pivoted. Julie Sweet and Accenture saying, we're going to help employees move from one industry to the other where they're losing their jobs, but, but shopping markets and retail, they need people to show up. Sam, did OCBC had, have to pivot to do different things with their clients than you had done before because of the pandemic? I would say yes. Um, first of all, I think we really have to understand um, the client's needs um, in a, from a different perspective, uh, not only from a banking perspective, but also from the company's requirements to serve their own employees' perspective. So we reach out to them to see as an organization, what is it that we can do to help them? Not only as a bank, but just as a, as a, as a, as a peer company in the local economy. That I think is very important because we treat them as an overall relationship rather than as a transactional relationship. And that comes out very strongly. And I think this is going to do good for the relationship and for the future as well between the clients and the banks. The whole banking industry actually stepped up and engaged the economy as if they were a large client base that everybody has got a share in. We're going to take a quick break to hear from Lauren Waxman, an executive director with Russell Reynolds Associates in our San Francisco office. Innovative and inclusive leadership is essential to an organization's success. But compared to industries like software and biotech, the banking and financial services sector is lagging behind. While banks need to remain pillars of reliability and responsibility, today's rapidly accelerating technology and changing customer expectations also demand that these organizations transform in order to survive and grow. 
So how can leaders in the banking sector cultivate more innovation in their organizations and capitalize on diversity of thoughts and opinions? We studied the leadership behaviors of more than 6,000 senior executives across industries over the past four years and distilled our findings down to these three recommendations. One, position your commercially-minded leaders to collaborate with disruptive innovators, maintaining a focus on ROI while ensuring ideas move effectively from concept to application. Two, balance the goals of consistency and execution with the need to innovate, adapt, and respond to emerging client needs. And three, adapt your hiring and succession criteria to emphasize different types of skills, experiences, and backgrounds. As you increase diversity of thoughts and skills in your organization, you'll help reshape your bank's leadership teams into more versatile groups that can better address shifting and emerging social, environmental, and digital issues. To learn more about how you can increase innovation and diversity in your organization, go to russellreynolds.com insights. Let's get back to our conversation with Sam. I'd like to change tack a little bit and talk about China. Um, during your time as CEO, you significantly expanded OCBC's presence um, in China, particularly when you acquired um, Wing Hang Bank, which was the largest acquisition I think OCBC has ever done. How critical is China in financial services? Um, and tell us sort of the, the thinking behind your expansion or OCBC's expansion in China. When I took over as CEO in 2012, I sort of relook at what OCBC is. And I find out that maybe there is too much of a concentration in the Southeast Asia in terms of revenue and in terms of client base. And we found out that, you know, China is growing and it's likely that China will become a more dominating economy in Asia. And we have identified that wealth management is an area that we could increase our penetration in. So the diversification is twofold. One is a geographical diversification and the other one is a product diversification into wealth management. Now, these two are not independent of each other because as a country grows, the wealth accumulation will also increase and this will help our, our wealth management business as well. So that was really behind the thought. It's diversification um, and looking at what's happening um, in this part of the world. And we found that, that it is inevitable that China is going to be more dominant as a creator of economic activities for Asia. And that's why we look at ways to expand into the greater China area. Uh, we have to have a base. And we found out a, a target of which we finally um, were successful in acquiring it. And we now have increased our uh, contribution from the greater China base significantly. Mm -hmm. So when I took over as the CEO, our contribution from greater China is only about 2% of our total operating profit. Mm -hmm. Um, now, it stands somewhere between 20 to 22%. And the pie has been larger as well. So it's not like shrinking the pie. It's actually the pie is growing. But in addition to that, the concentration has also reduced. And we have diversified really very well into Greater China as a major contributor to the group. Sam, the wealth management diversification, the whole world is watching China. Look at BlackRock's entry into the market. And yet, as we see the complexity of China for technology companies today and others, as international companies enter China, wealth management or others, what advice do you have for the other CEOs as they're thinking this through like you did? I think we have to realize that China is still a developing market, and therefore there will be policy changes from time to time, and we need to be prepared for that. Um, it is not a matured market yet. And sometimes the policy changes could be a bit abrupt than you would like to see. 
that's, I think, exactly what we've seen. And, and we, I'll, I'll put my uh, very American hat on and say the abruptness of those changes surprise us given the longevity and the, and the way that China looks at things for the long term. But yet there are abrupt changes. Do you find that a, a, a unusual, this long-term approach to the world, yet there are abrupt changes? I would say it is not um, unexpected. Because when you look at the policy changes in China, you really have to look at it from China's perspective rather than from the global perspective. From China's perspective, they really need to make these adjustments along the way to make sure that the growth is sustainable and stability is maintained. For China, because it has been developing so fast, there would be, if I use the term, excesses uh, from time to time and in different sectors. They really have to work on to control these excesses. And China is not entirely a market-oriented economy yet. So these excesses are not totally addressed by the market forces. It has to be addressed by market forces as well as by administrative measures. And this resulted in policy changes. So when you take that perspective, you would not say that the policy changes are unexpected. It's just the timing could be unexpected, but from a trend and from a direction perspective, it should be expected and it is necessary. Sam, fascinating, because what we see abrupt is actually continuity in China, and that's the redefining moment for us and other companies entering into the Chinese market. I mean, that is redefining, even as it's happening in front of our very eyes. As we talk about redefining industries, technology, of course, affects every industry. Um, you look at fintech companies challenging established banks. You talked about Helen being chosen for the future of OCBC. How do you look at fintech affecting the industry, and what is the role of technology in, in change and transformation? My view is that um, banking will always exist. However, it is possible that banking would be embedded into a platform of services. And the platform of services is driven by technology. But I must say that the banks overall has been moving along the technology chain quite significantly. And as a result, the banks are not left behind for the technology companies to take over the banking services. The banks are also investing quite a bit into technology in order to prepare themselves for the future. Ultimately, whether banks will become embedded in the platform company or not, I don't really know. But the banks could be part of a platform company rather than banks as banks as we see here today. Fascinating. And the platform company is a platform, yes, not necessarily yes, a yes, company. Yes. Watch out, Silicon Valley. Yes. The banks are going to be here forever, and they'll just be part of the platform. They are reinventing themselves, and the banks are redefining themselves amidst technology. Yes, absolutely. Sam, we like to end each podcast with a set of rapid-fire questions. This is where Clark and I are going to ask you a series of just five questions, and if we could ask you to please respond as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Yes. What book or books are you currently reading? Only the Paranoid Will Survive. Ah. Good man. It's an old book, but it's a very good book. Next question. What was your first job at all in life? I joined Bank of America as a trainee, so I've always been involved in this industry. The third question, Sam. If you could instantly become an expert in something, what would it be? Something that I would be able to entertain myself. 
I think you're going to Hollywood for the next career. I think you're <laughs> underestimating all this golf and, and fly fishing. You need to go to Hollywood. I was going to say, it goes back to the, the next set of redefining that you've got for yes. yourself. Yes. Um, if you could choose an age to remain forever, what age would you choose? 40. That's the age that I will continue to have the energy. And that's also the age that I will have accumulated some human wisdom. And the last question for you, um, what's the best piece of advice you'd ever been given? Um, I think be confident in yourself. Um, Have some humility um, as you look at new things, as you meet new people, um, as you look at new products. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, I've learned a lot today. I've learned a lot about handling abrupt changes. I've learned a lot about the banks are here. It's whether it's a platform and independent, redefining ourselves in our careers or in our personal lives. This has been fascinating to think about different ways of redefining. So Sam, thank you for being part of this podcast. We've learned a lot. And um, when you're ready to go fishing together, let's go to Wyoming, do a little fly fishing. Thank you very much for having me, Clark and Dines. Thank you. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure to be on Redefiners. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiners. For more dynamic insights from leaders from across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more or get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com. Find us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at RA on Leadership. See you next time.